0: You ever heard that saying before? It takes one to know one? That's usually like a comeback. Oh, you soft. Well, it takes one to know one. No, but listen, it takes a miracle to know that God can do a miracle. It takes a miracle real to recognize real. When I look at your lives and I see what God has done in your lives, man, I'm like like deep calling unto deep. I feel a lot of what you guys are feeling here right now. A lot of young people in this church giving their hearts to Jesus, coming off the streets, coming out of wild living, or just getting out of your head and getting into what God has for your heart. It takes one to know one. I'm a testimony. How many are testimonies of God's grace here? Amen. You know that God has changed you, rearranged you, did a work in your life, and it's just the beginning. It's not the end. What we are experiencing right now in the nation is an awakening to God's presence. Now I want to ask Griselda this. When you said Isaiah 44 had been given to you by the Lord this week, was that in our devotional time? Because I had spoke that word, or had you got it before our devotional time? Are you serious? When did you get that word? Yeah. Oh, come on. Somebody say Confirmation. That is powerful. It's going back and forth. So Thursday in our staff devotions, I shared Isaiah 44, confirming what the Lord had already given her. And then I was uh, going to speak on it today, taking a break from our uh, Hebrew series, because I took, I, I took a break from the John series in first service to speak about fathers and uh, God healing daddy issues. So if you guys uh, feel that that word would encourage you, go back and listen to that. And so then when you said it in prayer time, I'm like, I got it right here. Come on, let's go. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 1. Somebody say, we are thirsty. Amen. We are thirsty for the presence of God in this church. We want to separate the real from the fake. I'm, I'm sensitive to skeptics of revival because there's been so many fake things in the church. I remember talking to one of our former members. She said she went to a Christian school, and when she wanted to get out of uh, going to the next class, they would all pretend to have fallen out in the Holy Ghost and chapel, so they would just be on the floor sleeping so they didn't have to go to the next class. Somebody say church kids. That's church kid stuff right there, man. I was kissing girls in the bathroom, and they're faking falling out in the Holy Ghost. I mean, you got to pray for church kids. Both is bad, you know. And... I understand why people are skeptical of revival because a lot of churches talk about revival like they're going to hold revival or come to revival. That's actually what bothered me one time was when a dude was sending out mass texts to everybody about something they were going to do in Chicago on the streets and kept calling it revival, like coming to revival. And they weren't even greeting us. They weren't even giving us a sign of Christian peace and blessing. And I'm like, man, it almost sounds like you think you got something I don't have, you know? And uh, that bothered me. It didn't affect me in the way to make me not love the brother. I want to be reconciled with that man. We're going to have a meeting hopefully here pretty soon. But I'll tell you what, man, don't ever come across like that. That comes across weird. Amen? Man, if God's doing something good in your life, share it with others, but don't ever make people feel like they're a than in the kingdom of God. If you were born again by the Holy Spirit, you have what everybody in this whole world has ever called revival. Whatever has ever been called revival is a person getting born again, and we need to remember that. That's the greatest miracle. There is nothing greater than that. If you, how many have been born again? Amen. If you've been born again, you have experienced the greatest thing that God can ever do. Now, you might say, well, uh, you know, since being born again, I've experienced more things, and, and sometimes it's more emotional. Some of you maybe weren't born again with a lot of emotion. Listen, that does not matter. Your emotion does not dictate your miracle. Do not get caught up in that, especially since I was talking about church kids. Let me just talk to you uh, church kids right now. Don't feel like because somebody feels the Holy Ghost more than you that that makes them more spiritual than you. I've been a part of churches where people who are the loudest, man, are actually the weakest in their faith. I'm just being real. I used to go to this one church, and, uh, man, they used to make a lot of noise for Jesus. They would dance. They would have banners. Nothing wrong with any of those things. We'll even do that here, you know. Uh, but I remember then going to hang out with some of these young adults, and I, you know, was around them, and I was like, man, you don't really represent Christ the way I thought you would. You know, you're in church making all this noise. You're acting like you're so spiritual. You're not, you know. So for me, I'm sensitive. Listen to me when I say this. I'm sensitive to uh, skeptics of people being, uh, you know, in revival. Or experiencing miracles, that's not just that's not because I don't believe it can happen. I just believe people make too much out of it, and then they idolize these things. That's why even me as a preacher, you don't hear me talk about all the miracles I've experienced and all the dreams and visions that I've had. Because what does that make you feel like then? You know, especially if you're a new Christian, that'll make you feel like I'm better than you. No, that's not at all how Christianity works. Christianity is not based on like how some people play like these uh, these role not role playing games, but like these Pokemon. Games games where you power up. What do they call those games where you get more power, more points? Like is it a role playing game? RPG? It is a part RPG? Role playing game. RPG. I have it I had it right. Okay, I guess I did. Thank you, Lord. You know, like you play Pokemon, like don't don't Pokemon get power-ups? Or is it just the character stays the character? Or can that, that one character you have get stronger? Okay, so the character gets get strong. That's how people think, like it is with signs, wonders, and miracles, that the more you have, the stronger you are. That is not true at all. As a matter of fact, as I just said, that some of the people saying they feel the Holy Ghost have had, like, weak Christian lives, I would say watching Christianity, from the Benny Hens to the Jimmy Swaggerts and stuff, those who claim miracles the most are oftentimes the most whack, Are you guys tracking with me? Like Benny Hinn in my day was like the G. He was like the one to go to, man. He was like the gangster, man. Like everybody had to go to Benny Hinn. And that dude was just weird, man. He was just weird. I know he's probably still a Christian, man. I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I hope he's still a Christian. I don't know. Because if he was lying the whole time, then that's going to be something God's going to deal with him on. But I went to a Benny Hinn crusade. I'm not ashamed to say. You know, like I went to it, but I didn't feel anything there. But the way like he acted, the way he presented himself, man, you thought like he was acting like he was an angel or something. It's like, what's wrong with you, dude? You're just weird. You're just weird. You know, like you're just weird. When you've been around Christianity long enough, you understand that a lot of what people hype up is just them being weird. And, and let me just say this. It could have been real miracles happening all the time too. Like I'm not saying it didn't, but bro, having real miracles does not give you permission to be weird. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. So listen, I'm skeptical with you If you're skeptical towards those things, because I'm like naturally like that, and then also spiritually gifted like that. Like how the Bible says, there's the gift of discerning of spirits. I discern people's spirits all the time. It's a gift. It's natural. And I started off in Christianity that way. So I grew up around a lot of charismaticism, fruit, nuts, and flakes, granola Christians, you know? My parents started a vineyard in their house. Everybody had a prophetic word. But notice this, I'm not bitter towards that, because I still believe in prophetic words, Uh, not all of my mom's friends were crazy. Some of them spoke words over my life that I'm still experiencing today. That doesn't mean you throw out the baby with the bathwater, okay? But if you're skeptical, I get it, but let me just ask you a question if you're skeptical. What is the point of Christianity then? somebody says, well, it's the gospel, it's the Bible, it's discipleship. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, what does that look like? It should look like something we would call revival, an outpouring, you know, an awakening of the Holy Spirit. It should look different than us just going to church, being the frozen chosen. In other words, is is this all the book of Acts ever was, was just people singing songs and listening to each other talk? No, there were miracles that took place in the book of Acts, amen? Now, if we don't see a miracle take place here, we don't quit. We don't say, well, then forget this. I'm going to go find a place that has it. No, we hear have faith, and we keep growing in our faith to see more miracles. And if we don't see the miracles come to pass, we look at ourselves. We don't blame the people. You didn't have enough faith. No, we don't blame people. We look at our own hearts. How can we grow to encourage people's faith? And I thank God in this church, I think we have a wonderful balance of spirit and... I think we have a good balance of spirit and... Yeah, I think we got both here. That means you can see miracles in this house, Joby, would you stand up with your beautiful baby? This is the last miracle that I prayed for along with many people in this church as Karina was having a troubled pregnancy. As all of the reports were coming back negative, we prayed for that child. The doctors were in like doubt. They didn't believe it could be done in a natural childbirth and for a healthy baby. Right, sister? And yet that child is there today as a miracle baby. Somebody say a miracle baby. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother and sister. I mean, that's the last amazing miracle that I saw. There was another miracle that was in this church, and some of the children are here even right now. Their mothers had had miscarriages and weren't able to get pregnant, and some of them were on multiple miscarriages. And during the time of a prophetic movement, when an evangelist was here, we called those women forward and prayed for them, and every single one of those women got pregnant within the next few months. Every one of them, and in every one of them had beautiful children in Jesus' name. So I've seen miracles. I've seen deliverance, demons cast out. I've seen addictions broken. Those kinds of things are powerful. But listen, just because Joe, this man, your pastor, has seen those things, that doesn't mean me and God are this close. Because God can just be conforming, uh, you know, confirming his word. When Jimmy Swaggart, this name that you guys wouldn't know anything about, it was like back in the 80s, big televangelist, when he was seeing the church packed and a lot of miracles and people getting saved, he was getting a prostitute. So that messed with people's head. Like, oh, man, look at this religious dude claiming all of these miracles and stuff, and yet he's over here getting girls on the side. Well, hold up a minute. Our Bible already explains that. Anybody here ever hear of Samson? How many have heard of Samson in the Bible before? Okay, was Samson able to do miraculous stuff? Yeah, but he was he being wicked? Yeah, he was wicked the whole time. He was doing everything opposite of what God told him to do. Even David was known as a mighty warrior, but David starts cheating on his wife with another woman, uh, another man's wife. And then when that man comes back and the, and the uh, woman is pregnant, he tries to have the man sleep with her. So that he can think it's his baby. And this is David, lying and cheating and all that. And then when the man has enough honor to say, I won't sleep with my wife while my men are in battle. David should have been in battle, but he was sleeping with women. He then has this man put to death. That's David in the Bible. Somebody say, God have mercy. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do we now say God approves of that? No, God punished him for that. God punished Samson for what he did. When you read the stories of our Bible, you're supposed to be like, man, that's real. That's what you're supposed to be like. The, the Muslims, they, they reject the stories of our Bible because they tell those stories. They say, oh, if these were really prophets, then they wouldn't have these uh, things in their lives, which is actually crazy because the story of their prophet, he's the wicked, most wicked of them all, and he's not even a real prophet, but he was a wicked man, and yet they tell his stories and try to cover it up, saying he could marry a six-year-old, have sex with her at nine, Aisha, that he could do all these wicked things, uh, sex slavery and talk about beating women and all that, but they'll make excuses for him and say that's actually a part of the, their stories, their, their history, and yet when they hear about Job... Uh, Uh, excuse me, Lot being raped by his daughters, David having to kill a man to cover up an affair, or Solomon possibly losing his salvation by all the wives and idolatry. They try to say that's an evidence that the Bible's not true. But that to me is actually evidence the Bible is true. Have you looked around and seen some sinners and saints in your life? And is God dealing with them? Amen. It doesn't mean God approves of it, but it shows that God's dealing with them. If I read the Bible and I only saw that everybody did the right thing, I would say, well, that's certainly not for me. I mean, let's be honest, how many have would be disqualified? How many of you have been Christians and, and since being a Christ follower have made mistakes? Now that doesn't mean that we just say was well, anything goes. No, but you gotta be real in the process of your spiritual growth. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says there is a working out of what God did within us. See, God works it in us and we work it out. Oh, come on, somebody. See, God works within us. Doesn't the Bible say, he that worketh within you and does these things within you is greater than he that's in the world? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You are Christ's workmanship. The Bible also says, so there's a work that God does within you so that you can work it out in your life. Look at your neighbor and say, work it out. Thank you. Now, looking here at Isaiah 44, we are in a time of revival because people are thinking about Asbury and what God has done with those young people's lives. They're praying. They're going after God in their college campus, and, you know, now that school has to kind of divert their attention back to going to school, and they're going to start shutting it down in some ways. But that doesn't mean that we have to stop seeking God. I want to seek God for revival in this church. Now, what revival looks like is going to be different to what it has in other times and past. Like right now, this revival, whatever God does in the 21st century is going to look different than what he did early on. Let me give you an example. There used to be a time, let me back up and say this. I'm not trying to promote the movie, but how many have heard of the movie, Jesus Revolution? It's about the Jesus people. Now, I'm going to freak you out right here and blow some of your minds as probably being one of the most casual pastors you meet. Now, I know you're like, oh, man, all pastors dress like this. I was dressing like this when they were in suits, and some of them weren't even born yet, these young guys, okay? I'm just telling you, I've been dressing casual as a pastor since, like, basically 20 years ago. Now, I did wear suits for a time, but I'm telling you, when I first started dressing casual, I was hated on by a lot of people. That sounds weird now, I know, but that's, that's true. I was hated on, okay? And now everybody's doing it. But I want you to understand this. The Jesus People movement, I believe God blessed because he wanted to show, like, long-haired hippie people, you could come to church just as you are. You could be accepted. How many kind of see that when you think about that movie, The Jesus People? Like, uh, I I remember uh, watching a preview for it. Uh, The guy, the the long-haired guy, I think his name is Lonnie Frisbee. He's like saying, man, to Chuck Smith, the pastor, you know, your church is not open to me because we have long hair and all of these things. And the whole like revolution of that revival was, man, let these people come on in just as they are. Let let them get down with Jesus. But watch this. I think the revival in the 21st century is going to be the opposite of that. I think it's going to be the opposite of that. Because here's my thought. We've gotten so casual in church that no one wonders now if they can go to church. Everybody wonders if they can go to church. I think, and I'll go on the line with saying this, I think the next revival, we're going to come out wearing suits. I'm serious. I'm just being honest with you because we're going to want to look so different from the world. You see, in every revival, it's going the opposite of the culture. You see, in that that culture, they were thinking, oh, the religious people, they don't want us, so we're going to go do our own thing. Because at that time, the religious people didn't have an understanding to want everybody. But now we have gotten so comfortable where it doesn't matter how you come, how you dress, what you say, what version of the Bible you have. Some people got heretical Bibles. It's just, it's so watered down. doesn't speak the truth anymore. I, uh, this is just what I believe because I watch things go in cycles. This, this, this is even for me as somebody who doesn't want to go back to wearing a suit. But listen, I would go back to wearing a suit if that would tell a young man to sit up in church, to respect when I'm preaching and to say amen when he hears the word of God. I would go back. Listen to me. I would go back to the King James if you would stop thinking that Joe Lowsteen is Jesus. I would go back to it with the these and nows because Jesus is not like what you see in Joe Lowsteen. I love Joe Lostein. I do think he's a Christian, but he is so weak and so watered down that many listening don't even recognize the voice of God anymore. And I'm not saying he spoke in old English. I'm just saying there's some things that you hear in the King James that you don't hear in other versions. Give me turn them into hell. It's a psalm. God will turn them into hell. And I'm going to show you how the NIV says it. I want you to understand, I used to be very strict in these ways. But the last 20 years, I've been that cool pastor. I'm a rapping pastor. You guys have heard me rap before. I come in hoodies. You know, I come in my, like, fake Timberlands, whatever generic version these are, you know. Like, that's what I do. But I'm being very honest with you. I think it's gotten overplayed. I'm just telling you. I think it's gotten so overplayed that people don't fear God anymore that people don't think of the reality of what it's like to serve Jesus. And I'm not going to start it off in the flesh. So it's like if you're wondering, he's going to start making us take off our hats and wear suits. No, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, I just think, even for me being a little bit older, but I'm talking like even my kids, like Lucas over here, I think by the time revival hits and these people start living for Jesus, I think they're going to want to flip the whole script on a society, I don't think tattoos are going to be as popular as they've been. I don't think piercings are going to be as I have nothing against them, nothing against them. I'm just telling you, I think we went so far from the Jesus people, nobody being able to go to church without looking like you're going to a, you know, a funeral, to where now no one respects it. Now, I could be wrong And this next revival, the next great move that God does in America, we're all, we're all casual, okay? And if that's the way it is, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to stay casual. But I am willing, I want, every, I want to go on the record saying this, I'm willing to go back to suits if it teaches a generation how to respect their bodies, the image of God. And so when you see us, you know we're different. Because I'm just tired of it, man. I'm tired of it. Even Andrew Tate talks about this. You say all this about the Christians. You do all this about the Christians. Nobody cares. You say it about Islam. They're about ready to go to war. To me, Christians have gotten so weak. We don't look different. The girls don't live different. The men don't live different. We're so weak now that we need to get back our dignity. And I remember this. Now, watch this. This may just give you a little bit of of insight here. When I got saved in 95, this, what they call seeker-sensitive stuff, was popping off. And I chose to start wearing a suit. My friends going to church were all casual because that's what I was raised around was that, like I said, that that granola Christian, fruit, nuts, and flakes. But there was a reason why I started wearing a suit. They asked me to preach at a youth group. I hadn't preached at a youth group yet. And I came there in a three-piece suit. My friend will tell you, man, we thought you were nuts coming there in 98, man. I'm 90, I came in a three-piece suit preaching out the King James or whatever Bible I had at that time. Why? Let me tell you why. Because I wanted every person to look at me and know I'm not a drug dealer anymore. I'm not a criminal anymore. I don't run with girls like that anymore. And I want to say that, share this with you. I'm willing to go back to that if I need to. Are you willing to change like that? If God said to you, My people, I want you to look different. Stop getting tattoos. I understand yours is of a butterfly, a flower, Jesus, and whatever. I trust me, I have our worship leader, man, got tattoos all over her, you know. Listen, I'm not I'm not against it in any way, but I'm just saying, what if God said to you, In this generation, I want to show them how to stop thinking like the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Would you all stop getting top tattoos? I'm just being honest. I'm not saying covering up and being ashamed. I'm not talking like that. I know I'm freaking some of you out. You're like, Pastor, I thought you were the cool pastor. All this, like, what are you talking about? I'm telling you what God's saying in my heart right now. What I'm hearing is when revival comes, I'm not going to get more casual. When revival comes, I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't matter how we hold ourselves in this society. What I'm going to show you as revival comes is that I'm willing to change. Now I'm not going to force myself to do it, but if the Lord tells me to do it, I'll do it. Here's another thing: I just talked to a man the other day. We were uh, discussing about uh, our children and different things, and I said, "Yeah, I'm fighting with my children over a pad. You know, over these pad. You know, these iPads or these Kindle things." And you know what he said? He said he took the TV out of his whole house. He got rid of them all. He only has one, and he has it in a closet now. He said the only time now that he can watch TV with his family is if he goes to the work of taking it out the closet and putting it on the, on the dresser over there. Wouldn't that make you think about how often you watch TV? Now, that's not me. I still binge watch things. I'm still into stuff, you know. But I was thinking to myself, man, would I do that? Man, what if God told me to do that right now? Joe, I'll send revival. I'll bless what you're doing at Metro Praise. Just get rid of your TV. Stop watching it all the time. Just to separate yourself from it. When I first got saved, I was willing to do all of that. No one told me to do that. I took out my hoops, took out my earrings. No one told me to do that. I did that. I stopped dressing like everybody else. I started wearing a suit. I didn't even listen to Christian hip-hop for like five years. I became a Christian hip-hop artist. Don't get me wrong, like a little independent one. But I didn't even listen to Christian hip-hop when I got saved. When, when people put it on, I said, man, I don't want to listen to that. No one told me about that. No one said like, oh, you have to stop listening to rap. If it's Christian, you can't listen to rock and roll. No, no. All I listened to was worship music. I didn't watch a non-Christian movie for eight years after I became a Christian. Eight years. Now, you might say, well, pastor, I grew up legalistic, and that just makes me feel scared, man. Like, uh, man, I felt like those people were mean, and they didn't love me, and they told me how to dress. That's not what I'm talking about. Stay out of the past. I'm not your abuser. I'm a person who loves you. What I'm saying to you is this, would you be willing to do that? God put that in my heart. The one who had did it before, like me, you know, who had did it before in the 90s when God was speaking, Joe, would you do it again? And I said, absolutely, I would do it again. I would come here in a suit. I would, not saying I had to go out to King James, but I'll come out to King James, teach you guys how to read the old English, respect the word of God. Stop playing with it all the time if that's what God said. Now, if, if this is just for me, let me tell you what this could be for me, and it may not be a prophetic word, but I'll, I'll mark my words. If it doesn't, then I'll say I'm right. Amen? And then if it doesn't happen, I'll just be like, well, it was just for me. That's, you see how preachers are smart like that? So if it doesn't happen, it was just for me, but if it does happen, no, I, I teach. You, I won't say it was a word from the Lord. Maybe. I don't know. I have to think about it now. I feel like I have to pray on it. But let me just say this as I'm up here sharing my heart before I go into the scriptures. Let me tell you what I know what's a word for me right now. This is what I know right now is that the Lord is asking me, what cost would you pay to see revival? That's what he's asking me. Would I give up TV time? Because, like, we were watching, again, the end game, you know, with my kids. Would I give that up to only study those scriptures with them? Now, I know the first thought is, man, well, then that's all we do. What about the other things? Is that boring? Am I teaching them how to be legalistic? But I'm saying, what if God told me how to do that? David Wilkerson, before he started Teen Challenge, was a pastor of a small church in upstate New York, and he had before this time been praying for revival to come to New York City, and don't uh, quote me on all these details, I may not have them correct, but I'm giving you the overview here. And he had had the Lord tell him, get rid of his television, so he got rid of it and spent time in prayer. He had made all of these consecrations. And then it was then, during that time, that he was looking at a newspaper article, and this was in the 60s, and gangs were just coming out like West Side Story type gangs, you know, coming out with knives and different things. And he saw a magazine, or excuse me, a newspaper article that said, these gang members are going to be tried for X, Y, and Z. He said the Lord told him to drive to New York City, go into the courthouse, and tell the judge, I'll take them and I'll teach them the things of God. They didn't want to do that. They thought he was crazy. But then he started doing revival meetings in New York City. The head gang member of one of the, the gangs was named Nicky Cruz. He's a Christian now. Nicky Cruz said, I'm going to cut you up and put you out on these streets in a thousand pieces. David Wilkerson said to Nicky Cruz, then each one of those thousand pieces will be saying, Jesus loves you. That brother preached the gospel in the face of death until those guys got saved, started bringing them into Holmes Teen Challenge, and now that's the largest drug rehabilitation program in the world, or I should say the most successful, the highest rate. And it's, I think, the biggest as in population as well. You don't quote me on that, but it's huge all over the world. But what did it take for him to do? It took David Wilkerson saying, man, I'm just going to throw out my TV. I'm going to do whatever God's telling me. That was what he was telling him, and that's what he did. I'm going to drive to New York City and go up into a courthouse to offer the help of God to troubled young people. You see, that's the kind of faith that I think God is looking for. That's what I know he's telling me. Joe, what are you willing to do? You know, you look at our gospel truck by God's grace. We go out there and preach, and we go on the streets, but that's normal for me. What if doing something... The Lord asked, What if the Lord asks me to do something that's not normal for me? You know, what if God says, I want you to go, you know, wherever, like to the south side at 3 in the morning without a gospel truck and go out there and meet the drug dealers, you know? Like, I'm just saying you have to be willing to do whatever God says. Look at the King James on this. Let me just, I'm not saying they spoke Old English. They spoke Greek and they spoke uh, Hebrew. But I just want you to see how the King James puts things sometimes. Look at Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into what? Hell, and all the nations that forget God. Now go to um, uh, NIV 917. 917. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. Which one do you think hits you harder? <laughs> Come on. Come on, go back to that King James, boy. Go back to that King James. The wicked shall be turned into hell. I'm not happy about it, but I'm telling you, it hits different. Man, that, that that make you think a little bit longer. Oh, go down to the realm of the dead. Go down to the ra- That's what I'm telling you. Even Joe Osteen won't read that, you know. He, he always tells you positive things. He's not going to say you're going into the realm of the dead. But, you know, even good preachers will say, oh, you go to the realm of the dead. No, listen. You don't know God, you will be turned into hell. You just, you just don't go to hell, you become a part of hell. You are what you eat. You wanted sin, that's what you get. You become sin. You become it. You've been wicked, now you're turned into it. From the inside out, the worm that dieth not, the Bible says. The flame that is never extinguished. That's what I'm talking about. That'll get you to think about it, won't it? Now, I'm not here to talk about hell today, though. But how many are going to heaven? Amen. But our generation needs to hear that. So like I said, Lord... Do whatever you need to do with me. Look at Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 5. Somebody say, we are thirsty. But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Come on, somebody say, he will help us. Amen. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jehoran, what I have chosen, for who, the one I have chosen. Verse 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will claim themselves by the name of Jacob, still others, somebody say still others, this is us right here, still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, uh, the Lord's, I belong to the Lord, and will take the name of Israel. Notice this right here. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I'm going by the name of Jacob or Israel. And then some people will write on their hands or write on, uh, will write on their hand the Lord's, like put it on as a tattoo, and will, make, uh, and will take the name of Israel. These are for people who are from non-Jewish backgrounds. That's us. How many of you are a Jew by descent? Any Jewish people here by descent? There was like, yeah, there's always you by descent. I forget. There's always that one. Cynthia, let's give it up for Cynthia right here. (laughs) Got to make sure we think. So one out of this congregation is a Jewish person by descent. But yet, look what the Lord says. There's going to be a group of people that cry out and say, I belong to Him. I'm the Lord's too. I didn't come from Israel. I didn't come from Jacob. You see, some will say, I belong to the Lord. Like, they're just going to go out and say it. Others are going to say, "Uh, I've come under the name of Jacob, Israel. Still others are going to write on their hands, man, it's the Lord. I belong to Jesus. This is us. We're not people that can come to the the nation of Israel and say, I'm a Jew. We can't go to them and say, I'm a Jew. I should live in the land of Israel. Only our sister can do that. But how many say you're the Lord's? How many say you belong to Jesus? Why is that? Because Jesus, the Jew, died on the cross for the world, not just Jews, but also for Gentiles. And now, according to the Scriptures, we who are in Christ are engrafted into the Jew, the Jewish man, Jesus, and are made now a part of Israel. Amen? So what are the blessings of God coming here? Going back up to the top, please look at it. What does he say he'll do for his people? Because now I'm in Israel. This can apply to me. What does he say he'll do? He'll take away our fear. Look at what it says. He'll take away our fear and he'll help us. How many need the help of the Lord today? He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. How many know abortion is a sin because it's murder? It's murder. Are, is a you formed in the womb or an it? A you is formed in the, wo- the womb. Notice how the Bible speaks about personhood. You are formed in the womb. See, when people try to say to me, you're not a you until you come out of the womb, they don't have a biblical worldview. I was a you formed in the womb. I was a you before I had hands and legs. At conception, I was a you. I was a person. Brothers and sisters, this is a wicked lie to say you're not a person until a parent gives you value after you're born. And now they're trying to even say that mothers who don't want you after you're born, they can also take you out. Seriously, there are post-birth abortion philosophers in universities right now trying to say that a mother should still have the right to end their child's life to a certain age because a newborn child still doesn't have the same sense of pain as a toddler does. Because we've already showed them, we've already showed them in the womb that children feel pain, but remember, what is their argument? They're not conscious of their pain, right? Right? You take a 12-week-old uh, pre-born baby, and they, they show what they do with that baby with the forceps coming in to tear it apart. The baby's even sometimes screaming, making loud or making uh, face gestures, you know, like, like they're screaming, like it's pain. I mean, I know they don't have oxygen, but you get my point. They're in pain, right? But they say that pain doesn't count because they're not conscious, Just like they would say about an animal. What we would also agree, an animal may experience pain. We know a a cow doesn't want to be slaughtered, but how many are going to have some adichetta, some steak later on, right? Right. So so what do we say? We say that that pain that the animal experiences doesn't have conscious pain because they're not a person, right? How many would make an argument for that? How many even know how to argue against a vegetarian, a vegan? Some of y'all don't even know how to argue against them. Oh, I guess you're right. They feel pain. I feel pain. I shouldn't eat them. But you have, to, you have to understand the point. If their point is it feels pain, you shouldn't eat it, then that's true, that we shouldn't eat anything that feels pain. But what do we connect the pain to? The personhood, right? To the personhood. We cannot eat persons. We cannot eat persons. Because then you could also say to them, well, listen, especially if they're an evolutionary vegan, you could say, well, then we can eat persons if they don't feel pain. Because if pain is the issue, what if I help them not feel pain? What if I knock them out first and then I eat them? Can I do that? Because they make an argument based on pain. We are not meat eaters. Now I'm just going on a whole other subject here, but how many are like interested in how this ends? A few of you? Okay, I'll just keep going so I don't end it midstream here. The reason why we don't eat animals is because of one reason and one reason only, personhood. That's the only reason why we do it. The reason why we don't eat each other is because people are people. They're persons. Can I hear an amen from that? Otherwise, you don't know why you do what you do. You can be ignorant meat eater if you want. Otherwise, uh, you can just keep doing that, but you need an argument if you're going to be biblical, okay? God allows us to eat animals because they're not people, okay? Why is abortion wrong? It's not just merely that something feels pain. Otherwise, eating animals would be wrong. Are you all getting that? Otherwise, you will embarrass us as a Christian in an argument format. They will just get, it's because the baby feels pain. Your dog feels pain, and you can eat your dog as a Christian. Your cow feels pain. Why can you, you you get what I'm saying? They're going to twist you up in moments. I know the dog thing threw you off, but you can eat a dog. I was watching my dude, he's in the Philippines right now, wakeboarding out there, because it's always summer over there, right? They they eat dogs in the Philippines. You, You guys probably wouldn't like that, but I'm ready to try me some dog. I'm ready. I'm ready to eat a dog. I'm like, man, I've, I've watched them be around me this whole time. I've never, like, I eat cows and I don't hang out with them. But I hang out with the dog all the time and I never eat them. I'm like, curious, what are you like? That's what I'm like. But here's the thing. They're not a person. They're not a person. Some of you are like, man, I'll eat a cow but not a dog. What's wrong with you? You can eat it all. It's just because you attach feelings to it, right? You attach feelings to that dog. But how many know it gets to be zombie land out here? You're eating that dog. Something apocalyptic happens, you're eating the dog, okay? Anyways, going back to this point, we eat animals because they're not persons. So when I say to an per- uh, abortionist, this, th- this child feels pain and we don't do it. And they go, well, animals feel pain. I go, no, no, no. This is not an animal feeling pain. It's a human person feeling pain. That's why abortion is murder. Now, according to the Bible, when does personhood start? At conception. We know that in the story of when Mary was said about Jesus. Jesus, think about this. The greatest argument against abortion comes from our Lord and Savior's incarnation. What will be conceived of you comes from where? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit would be the seed that would bring the conception. And the personhood is attributed to Jesus at conception. So there is no point from conception onward where a person comes into the play. A person doesn't come in at two weeks in the the womb, seven weeks, ten weeks. No, no, no. A person starts when God allows that miracle to happen. Now, some people have tried to say, well, how are they persons without having a brain? And that's even a Christian. I've had Christians asking me that. How are they persons without a brain? And I'm thinking, you will be a person in heaven without a brain. And you're not using yours right now. Because we as Christians believe bodies die. Guess what? Your brain dies. Your brain is an instrument of your soul. A soul is in the matter, space, and time of a body. But it is not matter, space, and time. How many understand that? Do you believe in souls, class? Amen. I haven't got to the message yet, but I'm helping somebody. Do you believe in souls? How much does one weigh? Where does it fit? See, a soul is not physical. You don't paint it blue, sell it at the store for $1.99. Brothers and sisters, a soul is a gift of God that comes from his essence, the timeless essence of God. We have a start and a finish. But that which soul is made out of has no beginning and no end. It comes from spirit. Can I hear an amen? Amen. When he breathed, and go to Genesis chapter uh, 2, please. When he breathed into us, we became a living soul, right? The breath of the Almighty is what gives us our, a matter of fact, I'm going to go to a few scriptures. How many are ready to learn about the soul before we get into revival? Two of you, for you too. I'm going to the grocery store afterwards as well. I'm going to get you your favorite pop. I'm going to get you your favorite candy bar, okay? Go to Genesis, uh, no, hold this spot in Genesis chapter 2, but uh, I'm sorry, go to uh, Job chapter 33 verse 4. Look at Job chapter 33 verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Does everybody see that? Who has made you? The Spirit of God. What gives you life? The breath of the Almighty. What did Jesus say to the Father experiencing human death? Into thy hands I commit my what? My spirit, thank you. Now going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the earth. We were all just sand men at that time. Right? But what does it say? And he what? Breathed into his what? Nostrils, the what? The breath of life. And man became a what? Somebody say, put that in the King James. Amen. Go to the King James, my dear brother. And man became a living Soul. How many know soul brings a better connotation than the word being? If I say you're a being, what does that mean? I be or not to be? I guess I be, you know? But if I say you're a soul, that goes deep real quick, doesn't it? Man, I'm a soul? Man, what is a soul? makes you want to go deeper into the Scripture. A soul is a reflection of the timeless image of God in the Spirit. My spirit is connected to God's spirit. This is where some people don't understand. Do you know that even in hell, God allows you to exist? We think of hell as a place that the devil sends you. No, that's a place that God sends you. We think, of a, we think of hell like it's the place, the, 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 the XXX stop next to the truck stop. You know, like when I'm driving, I always see these things trying to get the truckers, poor truckers. We got to pray for them. And always getting, you know, uh, you know, how many have ever driven on the highway before and see what I'm talking about? They're trying, to get, they're trying to draw these men away, mostly men, away from their families that go to these stops, right? Is that what hell is, just a dirty place the devil made? No, hell is a place God made. And who allows people to go there? God. And what gives the life to the spirit to experience what's called the second death? You have to be alive to experience hell. And your soul, who gives you that ability to experience it? God does. So God is the author of our lives. And this is what I tell people all the time. You didn't have the choice to have a soul, but baby, you got a choice now about where your soul goes. See, some people are mad about that, and when I talk about suicide, they get upset because they think suicide hits reset like our Mario Brothers, or they get reincarnated, or they somehow get to feel God's compassion and love because they just said, I'm out of here. No, no, no. Also, all suicide did was send you hell directly. You just lost your chance to be saved now. You say, Pastor, that's mean. I'm telling you the truth. Listen to me, every suicidal person here. It's not worth your soul going to hell. Seek counseling, seek therapy, seek the Bible, seek Jesus. If all that don't work, get a set of handcuffs, handcuff yourself to the refrigerator and give me a call before you kill yourself. I mean that because killing yourself is an act of high treason against God. He did not give you a body for self murder. What about all the pain? What about all the fear? What about all the anxiety? handcuff yourself to a refrigerator before you shoot yourself. Because if you were out of your mind, you wouldn't know how to put bullets in a gun. If these kids were out of their mind, they wouldn't know how to tie a noose and to make it work from their closets. Are you listening to me? If you were out of your mind, you would drive your car uh, you know, to the hospital instead of off a cliff. They know what cliff to go to. They know what bridge to go to. There's a reason why in San Francisco the Golden Gate Bridge is so popular. They know what they're doing. You are not out of control. There's some people that, that plan out their suicide. I think about 3 or 40, uh, 3 to 4 out of 10, 30 40% 40 leave suicide notes, most of them angry and bitter. Well, I'll show you, you didn't love me. You didn't care for me. Kurt Cobain, one of my first rock and roll heroes to die, that was when I was a sinner, talked about how he was doing everybody a favor. He had enough in his mind to think about hurting people and what it would do. And he said, well, this will be a favor to you. You are a soul. And listen to me, my brothers and sisters, that soul is a gift of God and it will now last For eternity. Your soul will last for eternity. Going back to our scriptures, remember what he said in Isaiah? You were formed in the womb. Even Corky, yep, he was formed in the womb. Anybody ever watch the show uh, Life Goes On? You remember Corky with Down syndromes? Anybody ever watch TV? That's old school though, right? Corky? Put Corky up there so they can see what I'm talking about. I love Corky. Corky was loved by God. Do you know that there are parents that give birth to stillborns? They still name them, give them a funeral, and consider them a part of their family. And when the parents are talked to, uh, people ask their parent, how many children do they have? They always say, I have four, but I lost one. Do you know that there's human dignity even in our death? That's why some people say, well, Robin Williams, he committed suicide to spare himself the pain. No, you don't have the right to spare yourself that pain. God gives and he takes away. You want to get out of the pain of death? will help you. The Bible says there's things for that. But you don't get to end your life. Why? Because ending your life is saying to God, I don't trust you through life. Just click on anyone with Corky here. How many believe Corky was made in the image of God? See, the world will have you convinced that he was not formed in his mother's womb in the image of God. He was. Because his soul is no different than ours. I have a friend that has an autistic child with severe issues. And I said to him, brother, the Lord want me to tell you this. When you get to heaven and you see him free from the body that he was in, he's going to thank you for every time you loved on him and treated him good. But he just couldn't do it at that point. His soul couldn't connect to the brain. That brain was broken. It would be no different. I, I can play guitar. You know, if there was a guitar up here, I could play it. You break every one of the strings and say, now play it. I can't play it. Your soul is inside of a body that's broken. Now, we may not have the same issues as somebody with the Down syndrome, but there's a lot of issues that we face with in this life, and sometimes people want to blame God. No, this is because of sin, not because of Corky's personal sin, but because of humanity's sin. When we were in the garden represented by Adam and Eve and we sinned, we brought a curse upon our land. We took off the blessing of God. That means not every one of our children is going to be healthy now. Not every one of us is going to be strong. Not every one of us is going to, none of us are going to live forever. And that was because of Adam and Eve. And I always say this because people go, I I feel that's unfair. I would have done different. No, you wouldn't have. Because look at your life. You've already sinned and you know more than Adam and Eve. You have the Ten Commandments. They only had one and you still break them. So if God in his sovereignty would have said, every time one of them mess up, start a new one, angel, start a new one, we would be here for a billion years watching each one of us sin to get to the same point we're at now which is humanity's sins. Humanity breaks God's laws. Now, please give me the scripture, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. See, brothers and sisters, we need to live by the word of God because the Lord gave us his word. And now we have to see that something is messed up. So I want you to see this before I get into revival. I just want you to have a basis of the importance of life. He says here, you formed me in the womb and you will help me. How many know God helped Corky throughout his life? Amen. How many know God helps those children who are abused? We just had Sister Karina testify that she was abused by her father. She testified that to the young people because during high school times, she became confused sexually and started dating girls out of that pain. Is that not the truth, sister? She testified about that. I'm not telling her business. That's what she testified in front of our young people. I'm not saying that every um, person today that has sexual confusion in that way was abused. Maybe they have a different story, but still to this day, statistically, those who have same-sex attraction have come from abusive backgrounds. It's still a part of the stats and the facts. So whether or not you've gone through those kinds of pains or you're going through something right now, you have to understand God will help you. Now look at this one. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now go to that same verse just to show people because I'm on it today, Exodus 18, 20. The one who, yeah, Exodus, uh, yeah, 1820, I thought you just had it up there. I I said, I meant Ezekiel. That was my fault, my brother. You already had it right. You had it right. Thank you. Now look at the difference here. The soul that sinneth, this is still King James. Now go back to the NIV. There you go. Just leave it right here. The one who sins is the one who dies. How many know once again the King James hits it a little bit harder? Because it's the what? The soul that sins. Do you understand you're a soul? You're in a body for a short amount of time, but you are a living soul. That soul, everybody get this, that soul will die. Now, sometimes Jehovah Witnesses look at this. They don't believe in a literal hell. They believe that the bad people get extinct, annihilated after Jesus' judgment, and they use this as a scripture, but they don't understand. Go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says that the second death for your soul is one that is... That lasts forever. How many have heard about the second death before? Amen. This is the second death, the Bible says clearly. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. The Jehovah Witness is wrong on a hundred other things, but especially this one right here. They take the fear of hell out of people who need to understand. There is an eternal hell. Because if the worst thing is, I just get blown up at the end and I stop existing, that's not so bad. How many know young people think like that right now? Hey, man, I'm going to do what I can do, live how I live, and if hell is really just me just being non-extinct or not existing, becoming extinct, I can live with that. How many would think that there's some young people that take the chance with that, right? I'm going to get all that I can get, do all that I can do, even adults, right, but especially the young and wild. Man, I'm going to do all that I can do. I'm going to get all that I can get, and at the end, he'll just take me out of existence. Hold up. No, no, no. After you went out guns blazing, blah, 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 blah. You're in hell now. You're in hell. Not no rest in peace. No no rest in purgatory. You're resting in punishment. And there is no rest for the wicked, the Bible says. You're residing, I should say, in punishment. That changes the way you live. One life, no reset, no reincarnation, no delete. God is not deleting you. Look at what it says. You will be around as a soul. This puts the fear of God in me. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I love you and I tell you this. Don't get mad at the messenger, and don't even get mad at the one giving the message, Jesus. Get right. Amen? You can get mad or you can get glad. It's up to you. You can be offended or you can be repentive. The Bible said, putting it back up there for me, please, in Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That soul doesn't just die in a body. Your soul doesn't die when your body dies. Your soul lives on. And the soul that dies is an eternal death, not one that has an extinction. So sometimes people, like I said, believe in soul death being the death of the body or being deleted at the end. No, no, no. A soul death, a death for a soul, according to the Bible, is one that goes to hell forever, the lake of fire. Amen? Amen. It's the truth. Now let me share with you the good news. Everybody say the good news. The good news is... You were formed for a purpose, going back to Isaiah 44, and that God will help us. But here's the condition, and I pray that this will hit your heart as much as it hits mine. But we have to be thirsty. I sometimes talk to people, and they think that Christianity is an option. And so when they don't want to put effort into it, it's God's fault that they don't have faith. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Man, I, you know... I hear what you're saying, but I just don't believe it. Well, have you looked into it and spent time? No, I mean, I, I was brought up in church. I did a little, but, I, you know, it's just not for me. That's what they'll say. Have you guys heard that before? Do you know that God will call that person a coward? Go back to Revelation. Just h- highlight that, please, there. Do you know that God calls that person a coward? Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. You know why they're a coward? Because they're afraid to put their life on the line for something, and they want to be lazy. You see, they're afraid of what people are going to say about them, because if you really take your time to research what the Word says, what do you think they're going to find out? What do you think they're going to find out, TJ? Give me an example. What do you think they're going to find out? Yeah. If I say to a homosexual they're going to hell because they're sexually immoral right there and they say, I don't know about that, and I say, have you really spent time searching the Bible? And they go, that's not my thing. What are they really saying? They're afraid to find out, aren't they? They're afraid. If I say the a person who lives with their girlfriend has sex before marriage is going to hell and they go, man, I don't believe that, and I go, why don't you look into it? Oh, that's not my thing. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of hearing that their their sin is going to damn them to hell. Every single person has a choice. You're going to spend your life living by that choice. And to say I haven't made a choice is actually your choice. Oh, I'm still deciding. No, you're in rebellion. Now, I had a person hear me preach like this. They said, that sounds like you're asking us to be gullible. No, I'm asking you to do everything you can right now to find the living, true God. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you not to delay you searching for God. If I said to you right now, there's a million dollars somewhere in this room, and you knew that I wasn't lying, would you search for it? Come on. Let's say you had a family member that was dying of cancer, and I said, in this room was the cure, and you knew I wasn't lying, would you search for it? I just talked to Michael. He lost his mom from cancer. Bro, you'd you'd tear this whole entire house down. If you knew I was telling you the truth, and yet the Bible says, seek me, and you shall find me. And this generation looks at us and says, I don't want to do that. You don't get more than that. I'm sorry to tell you, but God is not your waiter. He's not your butler. Anybody remember Mr. Belvedere? Go on put up Mr. Belvedere. We got some older people here that remember. But I want to show some young people, Mr. Belvedere. Mr. Belvedere was that cool dude in the 80s that was like the butler. And he was like, Mr. Belvedere, man, he'll help me out. Come here, Mr. Belvedere. You're the butler. Come help me. That's how we think God is. God is a king that sent his son to die for us, and he loves us to reach out to us, but that reaching out has an expiration date. I've talked to pastors, and I say, why do you always talk as if there's no judgment? Well, we just want people to know how much God loves them. I say, why don't you ever tell them when God hates them? Do you know that God will hate you in the end if you don't serve him? He does not send you to hell with a tear in his eye. I'm going to show you that in just a moment, but I'm going to show you Mr. Belvedere. Go and click on the, yeah, that right there. This ain't Jesus, people. I'm going to show you where he hates you when you die. I know that's going to mess with some of you. are like, man, what in the world, is pastor? Because you haven't learned this. I'm sorry, your pastor hasn't told you this. I'll debate your pastor, by the way, if he doesn't think it's true. Give him my number. That's how we think Jesus is, standing at the door and knocking, right? That's what the Bible says. But what happens when you don't answer? What happens when you keep looking at him, spitting on him, and you keep saying, you're not for me. I don't even believe you exist. What do you think Jesus turns into? You think this is Jesus on judgment day? If that was Jesus on judgment day, then why doesn't everybody go to heaven? Because wouldn't that just make sense? Come on, let's think through universalism right now. Everybody goes to heaven. Jesus loves everybody, even the devil. This was promoted by origin and different church fathers throughout the years. Why isn't universalism true if this is how Jesus is? It would make perfect sense. I mean, you lived your life. You're a little crazy, a little wild. You didn't believe in him. You had your own reasons, your doubts. But now on judgment day, it's all fixed, right? Now he's there. You're there. You're, I'm sure you're sorry. How many know the atheists will be sorry that day? Right, I mean, at least understand I was wrong, the God-hater, Hitler, I'm wrong. You know. So why doesn't God say, come on in now? I mean, you got it, you believe, now it's done. I mean, everything we'll put in the past. I got enough blood for you. I died on the cross. I already loved you. We don't accept limited atonement here, so we believe on the cross. The atonement was for all. So why isn't universalism true? Because that's not, that's not Jesus. Give me the scripture, I have hated them with a the holy hatred. There is a holy hatred towards sinners on the day of judgment. There is a reason why we will trample on them on the day of judgment. The Bible says you will trample on the enemies of God. You will walk on their ashes. I'm going to show you that as well. Can I hear an amen? The Bible teaches us that we have a purpose. We have a a, a destiny that God made us in the womb for this beautiful, beautiful purpose. But our thing is that we have got to be hungry and thirsty for God. David speaking, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Do you think David was speaking prophetically or only poetically? If you say, I only think he's speaking poetically, he's mad, he's had a bad day, it's old covenant. Go to Psalm chapter 2. Keep that one up for me, please. New tab, Psalm chapter 2. I believe David is speaking prophetically. Some preachers want to say it now. I'm like, no, 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 we're not talking about God's hate now. We're talking about God's love. But why don't we tell them that on judgment day, the the love turns to hate? How many know I love my children? But if they act wrong, I'm going to hate their behavior, right? And I would have to punish them, right? And then if they went against the things of the law, I would actually have to be the one to flip the switch. The Bible says in the Old Testament, rebellious children, take them out and stone them. Do you think God was just having a bad day? He hadn't had his coffee yet? Or do you think that shows us the heart of God on judgment day? Come on, you are preaching. Are you ashamed of that scripture, stone the rebellious child? No. So God's a good God. He loves us, but they don't listen. They don't repent. Now it's over. Look at judgment day. That's why I believe David is speaking prophetically. He said, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. They say, let us break off their chains, throw off their shackles. Look at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. God laughs at their attempts to overthrow him. The Lord scoffs, mocks at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. What does he do to the enemies of God? Keep going down. I will make the nations your possession. Uh, Sorry, bro, you went way too far. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will what? You will tickle them. You will break them with what? A rod of iron. You ever seen a metal baseball bat? You ever seen anybody get hit by one? How many know that would break some bones? God is going to break bones on that day. He says you will break them, talking about sweet, loving Jesus. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Go to to Malachi chapter 4 quickly in closing. Thank you for your time. I do want to end with the good part, but I just want to be very careful that everyone hears the word of the Lord in its entirety today. In Malachi chapter 4, God speaks about judgment. Now notice what he says in verse 3. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know if Bill Gates hasn't repented, I will dance on his ashes? Do you know that my God will break his kneecaps and break his bones in front of us? If Oprah Winfrey has not repented, she will be trampled on. How many have ever heard about the grapes of wrath? As people would crush grapes to make grape juice, the Bible says he will crush humanity to make blood to high, the height of a horse's head for over 140 miles. The blood will spill out of Armageddon like how grapes, uh, grape juice flows out of the press when wine is made. How many believe that? Please just show them real quick. The blood will be as high as a horse's head for, I believe, so many stand uh, the, the rate of measurement that they use. God, I pray that you'll give us a heart to hear these things. I'm skeptical of the fake revival, but I need the real one. Whatever God tells me to do, I'm willing to pay that price. Are you? You see, if he said he pours out the water on the dry ground, am I willing to admit that I'm dry so that he can fill me up? The one that is full cannot receive any more. Have you ever had a Thanksgiving dinner and said, afterward, I want to go to Taco Bell? Anybody here? Hey, man, we just ate this Thanksgiving dinner. You taking me to Taco Bell? No. Why wouldn't you do that? Because you're full. If I'm in love with my wife to the fullness, do I have room for adultery? If I'm in love with God, do I have room for the devil? Why are we so full of sin? Because we're empty on God. Joe, you must have a lot of self-discipline that you haven't looked at pornography since 98. I know when I got set free. How many, 96, how many How many know if you've been set free? Come on, I'm never going to forget that. 96, last time I looked at pornography. Oh, Joe, you must have a lot of self-discipline. No, I just got full of God. I just got full of Jesus. Well, Joe, have you lusted since then? Yeah, when I wasn't full of my love for my wife or for my heart set on Jesus. All sin Is taken away in the heart that is full. That's why God said, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They trampled in the winepress. They were trampled, rather, these people. Just go up just a little bit more so you can see the winepress of God's wrath. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathering its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. This is literally where we get the term grapes of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed out of that press, rising as high as a horse's bridle, for a distance of 1,600 stadia, click on the C there for me, please, and it will, it will tell you roughly what it is. Just gently click on it. There it is. Yep, do that again just so we can see it. Oh, I said 140 miles, about 180 miles, a river of blood coming out of Judgment Day. Now, do you think he's your body when he does that? He hates you with a righteous hatred that David prophesied. How do you turn God's love into perfect hatred? By rejecting him and turning away from him on this earth. Here's the good news, going back to Isaiah, is the Bible says you don't have to have the source of water in yourself to get the water. All you have to do is be thirsty for the water. Does everybody see that? So going back over all the wickedness that we've talked about today, and Lawrence, would you come please? Just keep it right there, my brother. Thank you is what is the precondition for me to be filled, to be thirsty? Anybody thirsty? See, that's revival to me. I love what they're doing at Asbury, but I know what Chicago needs. We need thirsty people. When I was on the west side yesterday with TJ, I couldn't get the young people to stop because all I offered them was the gospel. But I could get the heroin addicts to stop because I offered them food. You see, because they were in need, they wanted what I had. But those young people, they weren't in need. They didn't need what I had. And yet they don't understand. I've stood on blocks like that, and I've watched their faces disappear. Over 20 years, I've done funerals of young people over and over and over again, and they don't want it. My heart breaks for them but they meet a God on judgment day that don't love them anymore. They don't meet a God that's given them second, third chances. They meet a God that sends their soul to an eternal hell because they've sinned against him. Did God love them on earth? Absolutely. He made them in his image, but their soul sinned. Now they experience the second death. Well, maybe they didn't hear the gospel. I don't believe anyone goes to hell without a chance to hear. Why? Why would they go? Because they're cowards. Go back to the Revelation passage 20 verse 8. Because they're unbelieving. Because they're vile. Well, Joe, why you talk about the kids? What about these politicians? Same thing. What about all these people over here? Same thing. On judgment day, we're going to see this come to pass. But what did they need to do? What did a coward need to do to be saved? Say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I become a Christian, I'm going to lose all my friends. Fill me up with strength. Remember, the only prerequisite is to admit you're dry. Well, what about my immorality? I'm so full of immorality. It's all right. That immorality, that dryness can be filled up. You would think. Not looking at pornography from 96 and then not getting married to 2005, you would think I have exploded or something. Something went wrong in me. I lived a healthy sexual life as a celibate person. I never felt effeminate. I never felt out of place. I felt exactly the way God made me to be. My body did what it was supposed to do. But you know how I stayed in purity? I just asked the Lord, purify me. The last fight I got into was a Christian. I wish I could say it wasn't a I wasn't a Christian, but I was. I got into a fight. I won, but I had a black eye. Crazy, right? Look at the other guy. But I had to walk around with the black eye. I couldn't carry a picture of him around, but I had won. I, you know Maybe I could have lost, but I'm just saying for this scenario, I won. And I went to church, and they said, what in the world happened to you? And I said, man, I was in a fight. I bet you I was the only person in that church that day that had been in a fight. That, that, you know, that day, that week at least, maybe for that year, you know. And then I remember them saying to me, why don't you go pray at the altar and see what God has for you. And I went to that altar that day with that black eye. And I said, Lord, can you show me a better way? Because I don't want to live like this. I was smoking cigarettes as a young adult. And I was sitting down with my friend from Bible college, and he was listening to me the whole time. I was telling him my testimony. Man, God took me off drugs, bro. I'm not having sex anymore with these girls. You know, and God, man, it's been so good to me. Man, I used to hang over here, but now, man, I'm going to church all the time. You know, I'm just like smoking in front of him. And he heard my testimony, but he loved me enough. He looked at me, and he goes, yeah, but you want to be free from that? I said, bro, I never even thought about it. Now, I don't think smoking sends you to hell. It just makes you smell like you've been there. Unless you're vaping cotton candy now, and now I smell cotton candy. I'm like, what's going on? My dude's vaping. I'm like, bro, you guys have a whole different generation of this stuff now. I'm so serious because I always go wakeboarding and snowboarding. I'm hanging around these kids, and I'm like, cotton candy, where's that at? Some dude over here vaping. But no, back in the day, we used to smoke Marlboro, Camels. And if you were from the hood, you smoked Newport's. And he, tell me, tell me you're not from the hood, but you tell me you're from the hood without saying you're from the hood. Swisher sweets, Newport's. I used to hang out with them. I was always a crazy white boy wherever I went. I remember hanging out in the hood one time, man. I had a 40, I had a blunt, and these I was like one of the only white guys there, and they were like, "You a cool white dude, man? Look at you, you a cool white." I was high, I was out my mind. Yeah, you can act like whoever you want to be like, right? But God knows who you really are. But listen, my bro said to me, he said, you want to be free from this? I said, yeah. He said, I'll pray for you right now. And I wish I could say that was the last time I smoked, but a few weeks later, that was the last time I smoked. What does revival look like? It looks like thirsty people being filled up, no longer cowards, no longer unbelieving, no longer vile, no longer murderers. That's what it looks like. How many of you have experienced it? Amen. Now go out there and share it with the world. Go out and tell them. Man, I'm thankful somebody told me I wasn't right with God. I'm I'm thankful somebody to just tell me the good news, but they also told me the bad news, that I would go to hell. What's the good news without the bad news? It's meaningless. I like what Ray Comfort says. Man, everybody get this in closing. Ray Comfort said, unless you tell them the plane's crashing, they don't want a parachute. If you go around here and just tell them, everybody, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you, they're gonna say, Of course, I already know that. I already put up a video of uh, what, little speed in first service? Is that what it is? I speed, I show speed. Yeah, but let's close with that one. That would be a good one. Get the young people up paying attention if they fell asleep. Watch this dude when he gets confronted by a street preacher who actually loves him enough to tell him the truth. But this is what revival looks like. And I know I spent a lot of time with the young people thinking about my past as well. But I want every adult here to hear me, everyone with their 401K. If you don't repent, you're going to that same hell. I want every conservative to listen to me. You'll go to the same hell of the liberal. I want every anti-Trumper to hear, to him, hear me. You'll go to the same hell he'll go to. God so loved the world that we didn't have to have that. We don't have to have that. That's not our purpose. You and I were not formed in our mother's womb as persons, as souls to die in hell. That was not our purpose. We were purposed for life in God. I don't want to experience the hatred of my God on Judgment Day and be sent to the the hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. I want to experience the mercy of my God. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Sometimes people hear me talk like this, and they say, oh, you think you're better than other people? And I'm like, first of all, did you even hear my testimony? I'm not better than other people. And then second of all, I have nothing good in me, only Christ. Christ's righteousness. Christ loved me while I was yet a sinner. There was nothing I brought to the table. There were no good works I added to my salvation. I was saved by grace through faith. I am God's workmanship, amen, because of what he did. But there was a choice. I was not passive. Salvation is not a passive raping of God. Some people want God to be your divine rapist. Hey kid, you want some candy? come into the truck. We got them, angels. (laughs) That's not salvation. Oh, when the good Lord, this is what the old timers used to say, when the good Lord want to save me, he want to save you now. The way the young people say it is, when I'm ready, when I'm ready, God will come get me because God always got my back. No, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. I thank God that this man is still alive, but imagine if you would have died in this car accident where he would be. Listen to this man's interaction with the preacher. I am, bro. Like I'm, about to see the, like, I'm about to go see the person that I love the most, bro. Like, I'm about to go see the person that I look up to every day. I'm about to go see the person that I watch his highlights every day, bro. Kristen freaking Ronaldo, bro. No evolutionist can tell us why there are still monkeys today if we evolved from monkeys. Why are there still monkeys today? No, no, yeah. you now just pause him. this right here. Notice the silliness of this. Go ahead and pause it. Do you know how to pause it, my brother? Okay, thank you. Let's get that pause button ready because I want to interact with this. Notice the stupidity of this young man. I'm a monkey. I'm a monkey. Did, did the preacher call him a monkey? Do you notice how people will intentionally misunderstand you to cause a mess? This man's causing a mess. Nobody called him a monkey. He said very simply, if evolution is true, why are there still monkeys? What he's trying to say is, if evolution is from one species to another, why is this species still here? Now, evolutionists think that's a dumb argument, like that's elementary. They say that we are variations and have similar species variation or a similar origin of species as the monkey. So we have the same ancestor as a monkey. That's what the evolutionists would say back to that. But here is also a good point. Monkeys are still genetically different than us. And you're saying that we share the same ancestor. Similarity does not mean same ancestor. Does everybody understand that? Just because my bicycle has similarities with a car doesn't mean they both came from the same factory. Y'all get that? Or that the bike evolved into the car. That's not what it means. So all they do in evolution is show you similarities. We have similarities with this. We have similarities with that. That's great. You know why? Because we have the same designer. The same God designed us with the same similarity so that we could be on the same earth you all understand that? The reason why most of us as mammals do certain things and we're classified as mammals so we can live on the earth so that we can have reproduction and so forth. That's why there's similarities. The designer made us with a similar design but that doesn't mean we evolved by natural effects from one species to the other. That's what he's saying. But notice the response of this young man, foolishness. You calling me a monkey? I've seen people wanna hit preachers for, for issues they made up themselves. I've watched this happen time and time again. Imagine if he had more violent tendencies. There could have been a fight with a preacher today over a person purposely misunderstanding what he heard. Let's keep going. And please keep by that pause button. Charles says, I know are you serious right now? Oh shit! Tell us, tell I want to ask you. I want to ask you something, man. Yeah, ask me something. Now let me pause right here. I want to share this because I said it in the first service as well. Anytime you're out with our street teams and someone asks to have the mic, it does not mean that you are inadequate. We just believe in authority. David's in charge of this street team. That's his name, David Lynn, and he's going to take the mic from his brother to address this, man. And there's a reason why, specifically. Even though we should trust our leadership, there's nothing rude about that. But David Lynn, noticed this had already made a video about this young man. And look at this. He's going to meet him on the streets. Do you think that's a coincidence? This brother made a video about his video talking about perverted things. I'm not going to name it, but if you look at his song, Shake, it has very, very perverted lyrics. And so... David grabs the mic from his his homie, from his friend. It's like, man, let me handle this. So if we ever do that, don't think bad. I remember one time we were out preaching and the mayor came walking by. And remember, we had some issues with the mayor. So I grabbed that mic from the brother and I started preaching. It wasn't against the brother. It's just, man, let me do my thing right now. Amen? I just want to say, trust authority unless you have a reason to say I've been abused. Okay? Now if David punched him or stole from this guy, then we would say, we feel sorry for that guy. we got to get them out of that cult, right? But David, he's going to take over the conversation, and I'm glad that he did because God had already used David to make that video. So he, say, he says, i got a question for you. David's asking him. Let's go. Because I watch your videos, man? I actually made a, I made a review of one of your videos. All right, what is it? So um, I forgot what it's called, but you made a video. I want, I want to know, man, are you gay? You gay bro? Only for Ronaldo. Yeah. Now pause that for me right there. Y'all seen the clip, the meme? Oh, and everybody's you know doing that. That's a, those are hyenas. You ever seen The Lion King? That's hyena. You gay? Only for Ronaldo. Everybody getting hype with him. Look at him. Look at how happy this guy is right. He's happy. You're going to let Ronaldo have sex with you? Don't be around hyenas. Don't be around hyenas. That's a lion talking to them. The world is going to try to hype you up like that. The world is going to get your back when you talk like them. The Bible says they love their own. That's why they hyped him up. They thought that was slick, man. Look how you came back on that preacher. You gay? No, man. But for Ronaldo, oh, for Ronaldo, I'm gay. Ah! That's the world we live in. I've been out there as a street preacher before, and the hype crowd has been way bigger than whatever I had with me. But you know who I knew was with me? Is God. And if God is with you, it doesn't matter what man says. You always in the majority. The one who made this place is telling me to tell you. You out of order. Well, he's not homosexual, maybe he's bisexual. I don't care what it is. You're out of order. God didn't make you to be like that. Oh, he's just messing with them. The Bible says stay away from coarse joking. But this is what our young people are like these days. Now let's keep going. Because he's about ready to get shocked. Oh, all right, all right, come, come, come. Listen, hold that, hold that, hold that. Hold that, hold that for a second. Hold on, hold on. I want to ask you something, man. Listen, man. I know your father is a Christian. Pause. Woo! See, he wasn't ready for that. And let me just say this. Everybody in one sense has a father that's a Christian, God the Father. In that sense, God has made all of us. We all go back to him. We all owe an account. But what I love about this scenario right here is that this dude did not know that David had his number. Because right now, what is he going to do? Is he going to mock God now? Now that this man has him on blast for all of his media fans, now knowing your dad believes like this, your dad's a Christian like me, now I want to know how you're going to respond. Let's go. Thank you, my brother. Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? Okay. See, that's a very, you know, great question, you know what I'm saying? Well, let me ask you this. Okay? No, 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 no. Answer the question first. It's okay. a great question. Sorry, because a Christian you know, is someone that's push. repented of their sins. You know why you always that doesn't support sexual immorality. That's not walking for fame, but living for Jesus. Someone who's denied themselves. Yeah, pause that right there. How many know that man's convicted right now? How many know we need to pray for him? See, that's what revival looks like. It looks like one man or one person telling another person, about Jesus Christ confronting their sin David would not have loved this man unless he told him to his face what the Bible says about his behavior I remember talking to some young ladies out there when we were on state in Chicago the other uh, summer and they said oh I love Jesus I love Jesus and I said, are you avoiding getting drunk and having sex with your boyfriend? And I was trying to go to the third thing, and before I could even get to the third thing, they got in my face and started screaming, you Have sex with my boyfriend. That's not your business!" They got in my face, screaming at me. I couldn't even get. And then, "Are you lying lust?" I couldn't even All I said was, "Are you having sex with your boyfriend?" You see, there's going to be different reactions to how people are. This dude, he's not screaming anymore. Those girls screamed at me. But here's the thing. Whether you watch a sinner get mad or sit and start to contemplate, because you can see he's thinking now. Now what you have encountered is someone that's under conviction. And it's up to you to let that set and to see what they do with it. Those girls, they wanted to beat me up. Let's watch what happens with him under conviction pick up their cross daily and follow me. I'm not against you trying to make money okay, right, or making right, good okay. music. But if you're a Christian, you need to repent of your sins. Otherwise, just like any person here, not just you, you'll hey, okay. find all right. yourself in hell. All right, okay, otherwise. way. So are you a Christian? Hey, let me talk, right. Are you a Christian? <laughs> okay, first of all, I came here to see Ronaldo. I'm in Manchester right now. You're asking me questions about God, okay? You know I love God, you know, but just, just a few I words. Let, hey, just not, words. Not, hey, 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 I want to know. Hey, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Let me tell you this. Stop talking to me, sir. Have a nice day. <laughs> I thought I thought oh, it's so. right there now. Yeah. I thought. Now, what choice did that man make? What did he make? Heaven or hell? On Judgment Day, you think that'll be brought up? Do you think God's going to say to him on Judgment Day, like Doc, uh, like Mr. Belvedere, hey? you know what, I'm just, you know, I'm just chill. I, I, got, I got a lot of forgiveness for you. Now, now come on in. No, the Bible says he'll be brought and broken to dust. He'll be trampled, cast into the lake of fire. Would I be there with him? Absolutely, if I didn't have Christ. Is anyone here better than him? No, let's pray for him. Lord, we pray for right now I show speed to get saved. We pray for the conviction that he received this day to be heard louder than the hyenas, O Lord, that are encouraging his spiritual demise. We pray for this man to become a Christian like his father and that he will live for you, Lord, and turn these hyenas, O God, into lions of Zion in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close out today with prayer. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Before we move, I just want you to think about what you heard because it was a, a message that God put, put on my heart to give you, and it's up to you what you do with it now. You can walk away like Ronaldo, or you can make a decision to come to Christ. We up here are just brothers and sisters. We're here to pray for you. We're here to love you. We're here to help serve you. We don't hate you. We're we're willing to do whatever it takes because God did it with us. But here's the thing. You have to be willing to come up and say, I'm thirsty. You have to be willing to come up and say, I don't want to live wicked anymore. I don't want my lifestyle anymore. I want to repent of my sins. If you want to do that, this is for you. And if you're a Christian and you've supposedly have been living for Jesus, but you're like that dude, you're living a, uh, you know, you say you live for Jesus, but you're living a totally different life. Come up here and get right with God. Because that's what revival looks like. And then young people and old people, we leave out of this place and we start preaching to our coworkers, to our friends, our family. We spread that message. And then this is, this is for me then. And I hope it's for some of you here. And then we say to God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to see more revival. No, I'm not putting any conditions on God doing something in this city. If God said to me, Joe, I want you to give it all away and make Jose Lidl the pastor, and I'll bring revival as you're, if you're the usher at the door. If God says, "Joe, come tomorrow in a suit, start preaching out the King James," don't even talk about it. Just start doing it and see what I do. I'm, I'm going to do. It. I'm not going to force you to do. It. I'm just saying that's what He told me to do. I'm going to do it. If He said, "Hey, hand the church to Pastor Berto and go fly to the Philippines," because I'm starting there, I'm going there. We as Christians are too comfortable, and God is telling me to get out of my comfort zone. So while I'm preaching to sinners, He's preaching to me, a saint, saying, "You better not get comfortable." Because time is short, and i got to be willing to lay down my life. There's two things to say in this closing. Two preachers that I look up to so much. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this. Why don't we have revival in the church? Because we can live without it. Why don't we see more revival? Why don't we see more Asbury's? Why don't we see more of these things? Leonard Ravenhill said, because we can live without it. And I'm going to raise up my hand and say, Jesus, I can't live without it. Which brings me to the quote of Sergio Scatellini. Sergio Scatellini of the Argentine revival. He said, Lord, he said in a prayer, and he meant it, Lord, give me revival or I die. And when he said that, he said he felt afraid because he had a wife and children, and he knows not to play with God, but he, he just had to say it because he said at that point he was a, k- a pastor's kid. He had already been pastoring for a long time, and he said, I just can't see it go on and on and on, church as usual, church as usual. So, Lord, give me revival or just take me home because I have to see it. An Argentina experience in Buenos Aires, one of the most powerful outreaches that had ever happened. They filled up soccer stadiums with Carlos and the Candia, and he wasn't even the main person, but he was a part of it. He was willing to say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. So for non-Christians, become Christians by the grace and mercy of God because he loves you. Know that that judgment will be be true and happening, but it doesn't have to be you. And then for us as Christians, we'll do whatever it takes. Amen. Would you stand up with me, please, as I begin to pray in dismissal? Father, we thank you today for this service. We thank you for the powerful worship. And Lord, we thank you for the word, God, that helped us understand the whole picture, that we were made with a purpose, that you made us in our mother's womb, and that, Lord, you'll turn us into hell if we don't repent. But, Lord, if we cry out thirsty, if we cry out that we're dry, you'll fill us. I pray that you do it now in our lives, right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said.